struggle through picking and choosing some of these different series and don't do them as frequent, but this is one that is really, really needed. The other thing I struggle with preaching is getting sermon titles. Okay? I'm not good at that. To have something that people would say that they want to yell, like, here, now we're going to do the Sermon on the Mount, something silly like that. In fact, I went through and I was looking at a book that talked about some of the really good sermon titles and talking about how pastors should be clever with sermon titles. And here's a few of them. They're taking some of the modern books, movies, different things, and making a title out of it. Revelation 21, somebody put the title, Heaven Can't Wait. Okay, somebody out of Judges 6, the 300, they said, oh, a few good men. That's their sermon title. The prodigal son, they said, giving the pigs a permanent wave. The uh, prodigal one on the salt of the world, are you a low-sodium Christian? I, I just don't want to think that way, okay, for the idea. House on sand, uh, they remember the wise man, foolish man, their title was gone with the wind. Um, the one, the sower and the seed. How does your garden grow? That's a little bit too fairy tale for me. Um, some others said the return of Jesus Christ. The authors of one title, one sermon was Weight Watchers. Another one, the milk of the word that we all need. This was milk does a body good. Um, one title, church involvement. The guy put don't park in the handicap zone. I like that idea. Okay. The uh, submarine Christians was his title and he preached about those who only surface at Christmas and Easter. Okay. Uh, on controlling the temper, don't set the stage for rage, on serving others, shared any good yokes lately, you know, taking the yoke upon you, the doing your own will, nothing but net, based on that idea that they didn't catch anything, eating my flesh, are you, you are what you eat, Christian service, you can't win if you don't begin, this was my favorite, about the maniac of Gadara, a nude dude in a rude mood, okay, that one, that one I liked, okay, that caught my attention, that, would, that if I heard that or read that in the bulletin, I'd say, I want to hear what that's about. Okay, um, so here's the title that we put down for tonight's sermon is Raising the Perfect Child, and it's not how to do it, it's question mark. Is it possible? Uh, you look at my kids and you think, what am I speaking about raising kids? Uh, so years ago I had it retitled, it's, you know, uh, I'm a parent help. Before that, I used to call it Ten Commandments for All Parents to Follow with that idea, and then I'd shifted it after a few years of raising kids, some feeble thoughts. Okay, and that's where we're at tonight, some feeble thoughts. What can we do for those of you who are in that se sector of your time of your life? You're raising kids. Those of you who are influencing, trying to help with grandkids. Where, where do we go? What can we do with that? Okay, and some practical help. And I do appreciate you being here, for the many of you, even if that doesn't apply to your phase of your life. But you're here because you say, okay, this is a time to come and worship, to study the Word of God. And I hope you can take this and help out people that you work with, kids, grandkids, that you can help them out by giving them some wise counsel. I want to just mention several different thoughts this evening, based most of it out of Ephesians 6, but what we're doing is we're starting with the first passage that is out of Titus. The Titus passage talks about an area that sometimes we forget. In Titus, it's talking about the older ladies teaching the younger ladies. And in Titus 2, he makes the comment, under the inspiration of Scripture, teach the younger woman to love their children. The reason that this always catches my attention is because I've heard it said by many people that the Bible doesn't ever talk about ladies having to learn to love because it's so innate, it's so natural, ladies are just that loving creature compared to men, that they just naturally love their children, not according to the Bible. According to the Bible in Titus 2, he's talking about ladies learning to love their children. And I don't think he's talking about the feeling or the, the motherly instinct, if you would. I think what he's talking about is from God's perspective, learning them to love, learning to love the way God wants you to love your children. And what he's talking about, what he says in this very simple verse is that it isn't an innate natural type of thought or feeling that the ladies will have. Though they have natural thoughts and feelings, inclinations of compassion and, and definitely a love factor, the love that he's talking about in this text is something more. It is a greater love that requires learning, learning it. It requires preachers, teachers, Bible, te Bible students to learn about it and then to share it with others, especially older ladies. Share this with the younger ladies. Share them of what is real biblical love when it comes to the mother to her child. And even correct when you're in those conversations and somebody makes a statement to you that I really love my child, da, 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 but they're not loving the way God says, your older lady should stop them in graciousness and kindness and say you're wrong. 
that what you're saying is not correct. And, and I'll demonstrate what I mean by that in a moment. It requires, according to this passage, where he says, teach, it's the idea of keep on teaching. It is something that is, what he's saying is that needs repeated instruction to remind the younger moms, to remind them that there is a way that God says you need to act, you need to operate in order to biblically love your children. Now, in that vein, he, what we're talking about is several different things that I think are involved with this. One is this, is that if you really love your children the way God wants you to do, you're gonna do what God wants you to do as a parent, even if it doesn't feel good, even if it doesn't, it isn't easy. Uh, uh, <clears throat> this is my, my experience not, you know, as a parent, but it was, it was very difficult at first. When we had children, it was very difficult to correct our children. And it was like, if I really love my kids, I'm, I'm not going to do the proverbial, the statement of, you know, some type of corporal discipline, spanking, timeout, whatever you want to call it. That, that just seems too rude, too cruel. But that's not what God's word says. It, it's, it's really difficult. And I love my kids and I'm providing for my kids. But to sit down and do Bible study with my kids. But that's what God requires. It, it, when it's like, okay, I need to set standards that my kids won't like. And they will balk at it sometimes. But that's what God says you're supposed to do as a parent. And so if, to, if I come to this point to say, okay, ladies in particular, but even the men in application that says, okay, if we're going to love the way God wants us to love, we're going to sometimes have to be the heavy. We're going to sometimes have to be the parent in charge. And that's contrary to culture. That's contrary to what we innately think at times. Sometimes we're going to have to disappoint our kids. Sometimes we're going to have to let our kids go through some real difficult situations, though you want to bail them out. But you have to love them the way God said. And in that regard, that means that what you want to do is that you want to protect them, you want to care for them, you want to provide for them. And that means in a physical sense, a mental sense, a social sense. For me, this was very difficult. Because my kids wanted to have certain relationships and friendships with other kids and other times and go certain places that it was at times it wasn't for their best. It wasn't that which they should be exposed to. And they would be disappointed or they would say, but everybody's going to mock me and tease me. That's okay. My job is to protect you, to make sure that you have purity in mind and have thought and your morality, your value system. So sometimes it's difficult. But this is what God says in loving them and taking care of them, training the child, bringing them up in the admonition, teaching them God's word. It's not easy. If, if, you're, if you sign up to be a parent and you say, man, if we're going to be a parent, the biggest part is just going into the hospital, having the baby, and then it's a breeze after that. No. There'll be moments you want to put them back. Okay. There'll be moments where it gets very difficult. There'll be, there'll be nights where there is crying and there is praying and there is fasting. Parenting is not an easy job. It is not for cowards. It is not for people who don't have a backbone, according to the Word of God. It's going to be a difficult task, but you're required to do that. And so it takes great time, great effort, great consistency. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that's this lazy. I would come home at times, and Deb would say, oh, you got to take care of this, got to take care of this, and one of the kids did this. And it's like, I don't want to deal with my kids. I don't, you know, why should I come home and I have to be the authoritarian over them? I just want to play with the kids. I don't want to be, you know, the bad guy. And, I, and besides, I want some of my own time. It's been busy, and, you know, don't take this wrong. I've been dealing with people all day. I want a break. And it's like, wait a minute, it takes time and effort. And that's the way God says, okay, if we're going to parent, we need to do it. Can I ask you some questions about this in a, in a practical sense? Okay. You who are parenting, um, do you know if you're protecting your kids the way God wants you to protect their value system, their morality, their minds? Do you know what they're watching on the iPads? Do you have an idea? Do you monitor that? Do you uh, have a plan in how you're going to teach your children systematically, how you're going to teach them the Word of God? I really appreciate it. One of our men came up just a few weeks ago and said, do you have any recommendations of what we can do of something that has an apologetic way of explaining and answering questions about God and different things that an elementary age young person, I don't have one off the top of my head, but I really appreciated that he asked and then we were able to say, here's some resources, you know, this pastor, this pastor, this person, go ask them. But the idea is that they were looking for and saying, how do we over this next year of 2019 do something that will help us to instruct our kids further. That takes effort. That takes research. Do you do it? 
Are you putting in that effort? Do you take time to teach them God's word? Do you relate to them by what you do? The important things that are very in a value system. Do you portray a God-honoring ethic? The reason, the reason I bring this up is it's so easy. We were just talking about this the other day. It's so easy with Hershey Park passes is, hey, you know, let me just give you my pass and you can take the, you know, they, they don't really scan. We don't look, you know, look the same or we look somewhat the same and just hang off your Hershey Park pass to somebody else to use. You know that's wrong? That's stealing? And if your kids watch you do that, they learn that ethic that it's wrong. You know, tagging when you go hunting and say, hey, we're going to go together and, you know, we'll just hunt and somebody else can tag the deer and I'm just going to keep on hunting. That's not what the state law requires or says. That's, that's wrong. There's, there's certain aspects that of just the simple things of you and I saying, what are we portraying to our kids? What value system do we give them? Just so we can have fun, it's okay. How do your kids know, you know, in the sense, how do you know if they're not been contacted by internet predators? You do know. We did the seminar the months ago. Pastor Art Pastor Doni can stand up and tell you from the stats that they did that the majority of young people who are in the, L, or in the junior high age, they have been contacted on the internet if they have an internet spot to be contacted by some type of social predator several times over in the course of the average year? Do you, do you have that protection in place for your kids to know what to do? How, how, you know, how would you protect them if somebody is presenting themselves as another teen and they're not? Are you aware of those things? Do you know what sites they're even on? Okay, do you talk about the aspect of, uh, of worship when you leave? What do your kids learn from you? about worship when you make comments when you leave? What do they learn about other Christians and Christian fellowship from you when they leave? These are areas that, hey, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be doing what God's word tells us to do as a parent, and then we want to instill in them to become what God wants them to be. I'm, if I'm loving my kids the way God tells me to love them, okay, then I want them to learn to love the Lord. I'm going to have to do my role, but I want them to learn what their role is. Their role is to worship God, serve God first and foremost. Their role is to become everything that God wants them to be. Ephesians 6.1, their role is to children, obey your parents in the Lord. And to give honor, that's their role. So am I training that? Am I helping them? Let me see if I can illustrate this way. Okay, and do, do a couple simple illustrations of this. If you're directing your kids and you're saying to your kids, okay, you need to think about God, you need to think about God, God's values. Let me see if I can illustrate this way. If your kid is old enough and they're asking you questions, teen, upper elementary age, whatever, and they're asking you, you need to obey because what is the authority that you back that statement up with? A lot of us would say, well, it's me. You need to obey because I said so. Now, there's truth to that. But if I'm going to teach a moral value, if I'm going to teach them to respect God, instead of making me the authority in their life, what is a better, more biblically strengthening statement? You need to obey because God said so. God gives commands and drive them to God. Drive them to what he is the authority, not just me. Because if I keep on saying you need to do so because I tell you, then what happens? Out of sight, out of mind. But God is never out of sight. Let me see if I can illustrate this. this I was challenged by this years ago. Not to think and say this way to my kids. Don't do one of these things to kids. We don't act that way in this house because we're burographs. Well, then it's all about whose reputation then it's me. No, no, I want them to have a higher value system. We don't act that way because we're God's kids. We're Christians. And it's a higher value system that, contain, that takes and consumes how much of their life is that value system with them. All their life. And so it's the simple ways that what we want to do is encourage our kids to pray, encourage our kids to seek God's will, encourage your kids who are getting involved with high school activities. Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about being in the band? Have you prayed about playing basketball? Have you prayed about going out for the play? 
Are you sure this is something God wants to do because of the hecticness of your schedules? And having them to relay and to go. Uh, we were just visiting with somebody this past week and they were making comment they, that when they were growing up in their dating years, they dated somebody and they, the, the person they were dating said to them, I have to break up with you. Why? My dad said I can't date somebody who, unless they're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or somebody who makes a lot more money and you want to be a school teacher. Okay, and so the challenge, in, everybody was Christian. Everybody's born again at this, in this involvement. They were, in, they were in college age in a Christian university at this time. And the, the comment by the other person was, yeah, but what about, if, what about God's will? Well, it doesn't make any difference. My dad said I need to marry somebody who's going to make a lot of money. What a value system to teach your kids. Now, is it wrong to make a lot of money? You didn't say anything, okay? okay? Is it wrong? No. But what has that parent just taught their children? Their, their college-age child, what have they taught them the most important thing in life is? Making money. And so it goes back to saying, okay, I need to make sure that what I'm doing is I'm training them, and I'm teaching them, and saying, love the Lord, love the Lord, and I'm loving them enough to try to change and the, the things that I would naturally normally do in this society. I'm going to, I'm going to correct inappropriate behavior. This one is so easy to just challenge. That just says, okay, there's so many passages of scripture that tell us that when it comes to disciplining, and we'll talk more about this next week, but when it comes to, and next week we'll talk about how to discipline the young people, the, you know, what to do as they grow older, and some practical suggestions. But we have to back up and say, when it comes to loving my kids, I'm not doing something to them in discipline. I'm doing something for them. That when I correct inappropriate behavior, when I correct you know, a wrong attitude, it's not that I'm being mean to them, I am helping them. Now you say, but well, it doesn't feel like I'm helping them. But you have to step back from God's point of view. If you love your child, you will correct them when they have a wrong thought, a wrong attitude, or a wrong action. The Word of God puts it out this way. Whosoever spares the rod hates his son. It doesn't mean you despise them, you have bitterness. It's the idea you do not really value your son. You're, you're valuing something different. You're not, you're not your child. But he who loves him, who really values that child, they are diligent in correcting them. We go on, we read this. Do not withhold correction from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he's not dying. And we're not talking about beating. Please don't, don't react to say, oh, the Bible talks about beating and striking. It is using in a different culture terminology that we don't use in our American culture, but it's that same idea of some type of controlled corporal punishment that isn't abusive. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something that would be a physical form of correction and discipline that would not hurt the child or harm them physically, but it was going to break their will and make them to become obedient. With that in mind, if you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from hell. So when I was correcting my children and I didn't laugh and go, Ooh, this is fun, I'm saving them. Yeah, and then take them in the back room and paddling them. It wasn't that type of glee, but it was at times when I didn't want to. At times when I didn't feel like I, I really, we've just been down this road every day this week. And we were doing it again, but it was for their benefit. It was for their spiritual benefit to learn they must submit to the principles of God's word. And the idea goes, for, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Too many times you and I can look in our own lives and say foolishness stayed with us. But correction was necessary. If we love our children, we'll understand discipline in your son will give you rest. He will then become a delight to your heart. If there is no correction, the child is just going to keep on thinking that the most important person in the entire world is them. They will not have respect for others. They will not treat others with, with a, a valued position. But if I train them and I correct them, I'm going to be dealing with them to help them to understand other people are important. That's loving my child the biblical way. Something else, if you're working and saying, I want to raise good kids, godly kids, learn to love them the right way. And that's to parents. Parents correcting your mentality, your attitude, your approach. Number two, make sure that you have a good walk with the Lord. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. We're, we're going to be talking a little bit more about verses 1 and 2 and 3 in a moment. But look at the setting of the whole passage. Follow along back in verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. 
walk in love as Christ has loved us, hath given himself for us an offering, a sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling savor. But all these things, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be named among you as become saints, neither the filthiness, the foolish talking, the jesting, which are not con convenient or appropriate, but rather giving of thanks. For don't you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater is going to have an inheritance in the kingdom of God? Let no man deceive you <coughs> with vain words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And be not ye therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. But the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So what you need to do, verse 10, is prove what is acceptable to the Lord. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but instead reprove them. It's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved, they're going to be made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he says, Awake you that sleep, arise from the dead, Christ shall give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise people, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's talking to the church body. The next few verses he says, Now man... Here's what you and your wives do. But before he talks about what you and your wives do. Now, parents, here's what you do. Kids, here's he's talking in general. You make sure your walk with the Lord is right. And he ends up this section, be not drunk with wine, where is the excess or foolishness, but be filled with what? With the Spirit. Be yielded, totally subjected to the Spirit, which will show in the speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody, giving thanks always unto God for all things. The point is, before I deal with my relationship with wife or kids or other people, before I deal with the horizontal relationship, what relationship must be right? This one. And so in this text, he's saying, okay, where do you start as a parent? You make sure you have the right mindset that you have responsibilities, God-given responsibilities. You just don't walk into this and say you sired a child and therefore you're done. God has given you duties. Number two, you walk in and say, I need you, Lord. I need your help. And so then he, we, we read this passage. Before you talk about relationships as a parent and what to do, make sure you're right with the Lord. Let's take it a step further, okay? And this is not, necess not necessarily feasible for everyone in this room. Some of you aren't with your spouse anymore. Some of you, they aren't, they aren't here. They're you know, home with the Lord or they've chosen to leave the family. So it's, some of this doesn't apply anymore to some of you, but for the majority of you that are here, then what you need to make sure is your relationship with your spouse, with, the, with your partner, that that is, that is your primary relationship. How do I know that? Ephesians chapter 5. Look at the rest of the passage that starts with verse 21 down to 33. It's about the husband and wife relationship. He talks about that before he talks about the kids. So that has to be worked on. We've preached messages on that already back in November. So let me jump to the next one. Teach your children to obey and respect you. This is critical mass based on Ephesians 6 that if you want to raise good kids that will give rest to the heart, teach them to obey and respect you. Let me cast this out. The majority of many Christian homes focus in only on the obedience. Make sure my kids obey, they obey, they obey. People can obey and not respect. And then they can easily, because they are in a real strong, dominating environment, what do they do with the God of their parents? They don't want anything to do with them. They don't want, because there was all this legislated rules, and I'm all for kids, kids listening and obeying. But I have to teach them not only to obey, but I need to get their heart. As a parent, I needed to train them not only to obey the rules, but to respect the authority with which I make the rules. That they need to learn to respect me, their mom. They need to learn to respect other people. Respect is so often, so often we think it has to only do, you better obey, you better obey. Have you ever seen parents, Christian parents, discipline their kids in anger? Have you ever seen them treat the child rudely? And then, they, then that child, you wonder why that child just, you know, they don't even want to talk to their parent. 
They don't respect their parent. Their parent made them obey, but they didn't train and catch the child's heart. It's a twofold, uh, twofold coin here. You have to teach, they want to train them to obey, but also to respect you. How do you do that? How do you do both? How do you make sure that what they do is they honor you? Well, let's, let's make some observations. When Paul writes Colossians, he makes the same type of observation. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is well-pleasing. It's very important. But what we need to comment on is God wants all children, all children in the Christian homes to, of all ages who are living under the parents' roof to be obedient and respectful. There, there's, no, there's no age limit here in this text. Let's take a step further. God wants them to be obedient and respectful to both parents. My goal, my drive when we were in the child raising process is not just to get them to fear me so they do what I say. That was only, that, that was only a little part to get them to do what I say. I, didn't, I wanted them to respect me enough, but I had to also train our kids to respect who? Their mom that they better respect her, that they have an attitude that they need to obey and respect her when I'm not around. That takes work, does it not? In some homes, some of you have had that experience that the kids, they're, they're leaning towards one or the other. And this passage says, parents, we're supposed to be training that they respect and obey both. And so we can't undermine each other. Oh, there's so much more to talk about on that. Obedience and respect are essential in, uh, essential in the area, and that's what I'm alluding to, is if they don't learn to respect you, if they don't learn to obey you and to respect you, then they're going to probably grow up that that same thing is that they're not going to be respectful or obedient to other authorities. And I fear I fear for my kids that if they didn't obey and learn to respect me, the one person that they would not obey and respect later on? God. God. And that, that has to be my ultimate goal because I'm not here. They're not my kids. They're my kids, but they're not my kids. Do you remember we talked about this about a year, a year and a half ago? We had a Sunday morning message on it. They really aren't our kids. They belong to the Lord. They're on loan to us. God put them in our, in our stewardship. I am not the owner of the kids. I am God's ambassador to my kids. What a revolutionary way to think about parenting. That I am God's representative to them. To help care for them, provide for them, but to lead them to God. They don't do things because they're my kids. They're supposed to learn to love God and obey him and respect him. But if they, don't, if they don't obey and respect and learn to have that attitude towards me, it won't filter towards the Lord. And so we need to train them in that regard. And obviously the passage will go on and says, parents, raise your children or bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That whole idea is I gotta train them. I gotta teach them this obedience. God says kids obey, kids respect. But that comes from parents enforcing it, parents in teaching it, parents helping to develop this. So how do you do this? How do you practically go about teaching your children to obey and respect you? Heavy emphasis on the respect. How do you do that? Can I, can I make some practical suggestions? Make sure you establish in your mind parental authority and leadership in your home. Not only in your mind, but in the kids' minds. Make sure that you have this in straight that your kids, if they're to hear under you, if they're to respect you, then God says you're the authority in the home. How that works out in my mind is this. Then I determine, as the parent, as the head of the home, I determine what we're going to do, that we're going to be in charge, not the kids. That Deb and I, we're going to be in charge. Do we ignore the kids' desires? No. Do we not listen to them? No. No, no, not at all. Do we just mandate and dictate to them? No. I will not develop respect if I'm this tyrant, this, this dominating, dictatorial per person in their life. But if I am training them, biblically, I'm still going to step back and say, hey, I determine where this family is going. I determine the standards for this family. I have to say, okay, what is our entertainment in this home? What is, what is going to be allowed as far as the devices, the times of using the devices? What are we going to do as far as what are you, you're part of this community called family? You, a reasonable contribution that you need to make to this. So, so the parents are in charge, not the kids. 
Not the kids saying, this is the programming we're watching. This is what we're going to do for our eating, feeding, you know, our schedule. This is how, this is when I get to be a teenager, I'm determining what job I have and I'm not even talking to my parents. Not in my lifetime, in my home. Because I was supposed to be setting the standards about what days of the week the kids can work. What is healthy for them? What is priority for them? What is the value system? And I wanted, this, and now I'm, I'm, off, I'm off kilter here, but I thought it was important for my kids to learn to work. I thought that's important. But not that they work full time as a, as a young person. They're going to be doing that the rest of their life, number one. Number two, there's bigger and more valuable things than making money. And most teens aren't going to make that much money that they should work every weekend and every evening and even put aside church. And there was a greater value system. So we determined what is going to be their work schedule. We determined what is healthy and beneficial for their spirit, for their spiritual growth, as well as, okay, you need to learn responsibility. And so in this sense, determine that you're in charge. Can I make a suggestion to you who have little kids? Okay, it's, it's frequent, okay, that you ask and we ask our kids, we, you know, what would you like here, what would you like here? And, there's, and that's being respectful to your kids and you're giving them some input. But I fear that sometimes as parents, what we do is sometimes we give, from a little on, we give too many choices. So many choices that if and I use this proverbial story other times, so many choices that you say to the, the four-year-old at home, okay, they get out of bed, okay, what shoes do you want to wear? What clothing do you want to wear? What program do you want to watch? What bowl of cereal do you want to eat? What, you know, what, do you want milk or don't you want milk? What do you, what do you want? And we give them so many choices in the first half hour of the morning. And then when we say to them, okay, get ready, we're going to go off and we're going to go to the store, and they say no. And we say, how dare them say no to them? I've been so nice. I've been letting them have all the choices. Actually, what you've been teaching them is they get to make all the choices. And so while I'm trying to train here, you find, find the balance in this, where I want to teach my children the ability to choose, I also have to make sure that while they have some choice, I keep some limits of what they can choose so that they realize they don't get to run everything in practical areas. And so we don't give them choices sometimes just for the sake of when they were little till they, so they know they're not in charge. I don't know about your kids. My kids thought they were in charge all the time. You know, and they could choose whatever they wanted to do. And my favorite was saying, are you asking or telling me? Are you asking or telling me? You can ask the staff if I still use that phrase to the staff. Okay. And that's where it comes from. It's okay, who's in charge? And so in that, my, that idea is, uh, and, and this was me, I, I'm terrible at this, I know, and I see it now happening again with the grandkids. If I want them to do something, I'm, my tendency is not, is not to command them to do it, my tendency is, would you mind picking up the stuff? That's not what I meant. What I meant is, pick up the stuff. But I'm trying to be kind to them, and I'm asking. And so when they turn around and they go, no. They aren't being mean or disrespectful there. They're, yeah, they're answering my question. So if I want to be in charge, then politely say to them, I want you to pick up those items. Please do it. Okay? That's not a question. But it's those simple ways of saying, okay, who's in charge here? Let me take it a step further. Determine ahead of time what behavior is acceptable. You determine what's acceptable. You as the parents, you're in charge. What's acceptable when it comes to them hearing under you and being respectful to you? What are you going to ask of your kids and at different levels in their life? What are you going to ask them so that they are showing respect, so they are showing obedience? What, what I mean by that is this. You have to determine what, is, what type of loud, loud, Volume in the house is okay. Okay? Yeah. Is, it, is it okay to yell at one another in anger? I, I, I personally am of the mindset that we would not allow this. If our kids were getting to the point where something happened and they were starting to raise their voice, I thought it was inappropriate behavior to have uncontrolled outbursts vocally in the home. That it wasn't appropriate as a Christian that they need to learn self-control and not to strike back or scream back or yell or slam the doors. And so you need these, okay, what about tantrums? Some of you have opted to say, well, tantrums are their way of communicating to me that they're not happy. Okay, you can view it that way, okay? 
Um, but what, what are you, what's going to be... Uh, here, this is in all seriousness. If your kids don't agree with you, okay, do they have the opportunity to say, but, what about... I think they should. And I thought respect, training them to be respectful was, I need to be respectful of them. If I'm asking them to do something that is unreasonable or is changing some other commitment they made, they should have the opportunity to say, okay, Dad, fine, I'll do it, but what about? But I had to develop a method that they could respectfully ask questions. Not say no, not say, yeah, but, in anger, how do they respectfully ask and say, what about this? What about this other commitment? What about this other obligation? What about what mom told me to do? What about the homework that I have to do? And not to argue with you, but isn't it true that in the busyness of your family unit, that sometimes you want to be able to say to somebody else in the home, but I have something else I'm doing right now? And so how do the kids learn to be obedient to, uh, to the other authorities, but at the same time, how do they say that to you? Well, I know, I know how some dads have, have told me they express how they do it. I've had some counseling situations that it's come up where the situation is the kids, if the kids dare say, if dad says, I want you right now to go and do such and such, and if they say, yeah, but, they immediately get themselves into hot water. Their dads immediately respond and say, you're being rebellious. Maybe they're being inquisitive as to, wait a minute, I, you told me to do this, now you're telling me to do that. How can they respectfully say to you, you know, clarify please, how are they to talk to you? Do you have a method in your home that they know as far as yes sir, no sir? Uh, yeah, duh, yeah, mm-hmm. Okay, now when our kids were little, we had this thing that we were really big on communication that, okay, you have to verbally acknowledge and my wife will say to me at times now, she'll say, why don't you verbally acknowledge the way you told the kids to? Because I'll go, hmm, hmm. So you have those, what's acceptable with tables? What's the ritual that's going to be acceptable? Um, this will probably in, in some homes go, really? We should have time limits on electronic devices? You should for their physical well-being, mental, mental development. Okay, if you want to know what I'm talking about, talk to Pastor Art, some of the research. Too much... Too much. I've, in fact, he had an article that some of the people who are doing the most limiting of their kids' use of their iPads are the people who are producing the iPads. Okay, they know some of the, some of the different influences. Um, here, here's something for respect. It's, it's just simple. Uh, we did this, okay, especially with kids. We had, for no other reason than to teach respect, we had certain times, certain, we had limits where they could go, what they could do. And it was to teach respect. In other words, you just, you can't go into somebody else's room. You just can't go in without asking them. It's just a matter of politeness, and we wanted to teach our kids. Um, you know, in modern day, we had this. They couldn't go into my wife's purse at a whim. They couldn't go into our checkbook. And to this day, they don't go into our checkbook. It's none of their business, okay? I know one day they'll have to, but until they, you know, they're diapering me, they're not in my checkbook, okay? Um, we had limits on the computers. Okay, you're living in a different age than I did. Parent, in, in 15 years, the world has changed drastically electronically. Okay, um, but there should be limits, just to teach them respect, just to teach that okay, they they just can't, and and you know, we we would have conversations that you're not to be involved in our conversation right now. Okay, this this is something you need to go in the other room. And I still have this mindset that the kids don't need to be in every adult conversation. Okay, and so there's, there's a matter of teaching those things. Let me take a step further, okay? As your kids grow, you're going to have to modify some of these rules, curfews, obviously, informing where you go. Here, this, this is one for us. Our, maybe your kids aren't like this. Our kids would go with the other kids from church. They'd go out and do something on a Friday or Saturday, and they'd say they're going to such and such a place. We made it a big deal. If you're not going to be at that place or something changes, you let us know. You just don't take it upon yourself when we find out hours later you're over here. Okay, and it was just a matter of you respect us and you know, it's fine. I'll usually say 99% of the time I'll say yes, but you have to communicate. 
How much questioning is allowed? What about being at home alone? What about having others in the home as teens? What about that dating? What about what's the limits? And so all that has to be talked about as far as even clothing. How much I wanted my girls to have some input into the clothing, but there were still some limits as we were training and teaching. And so you'd go through all this, establishing your authority, talking about what are the rewards, what are the consequences, and we'll talk more about some of this next week. But you do understand the book of Proverbs, there's two basic approaches in the book of Proverbs. There is reproof, that is a verbal correction, and then there is the, what's called the rod of correction, the physical, the, the physical action. Where the reproof, reproof was dealing with foolishness, more of the rod of correction was when there was open rebellion. And so we say, okay, how are we going to do this? And again, I'll talk more about this next week, but the idea of what type of correction should be taken. Let me, let me keep moving for sake of time. Establish your authority, establish your rules and boundaries in a clear, respectful fashion, making sure that whatever your rules are, that the kids know, that they understand what they are, that they're reasonable, that the rules that you have as far as they can't be watching such a program, they can't be on, the, on their iPad at a certain time, that they can't, and if you have the rule there, Make sure that they know the rule. Make sure that they've heard you. Make sure that they, you know, um, I walk around here sometimes and I'm talking to the staff member inside of a room or somewhere and they're not hearing me. And I don't see that they have earbuds in. And so it's just a matter of commons come. I'm learning that I need to go and find out, do they, do they know I'm even there? Okay? Do that in your family situation. Do they know? Have them repeat what you have. These are practical advice. Expecting obedience and respect. Okay? I'm going to park on this for just a second. Okay? The Word of God says children obey and respect. So if I am giving them an order that I think is important, then God expects them to respond and obey what I have told them. So I as a parent then need to understand if they don't do it, if they choose not to do what I'm telling them or to be respectful, they are choosing to sin. And it is sin. And therefore, it needs to be dealt with. It's wrong on their part. And therefore, I need to address that. I don't need to excuse it. I don't need to say, oh, the reason that they're not listening to me is they're tired. They're hungry. Oh, they just, they've had a bad day at school, so now they're not listening. I understand that that can happen. I have a bad day at work and my wife says, you're not listening. So I understand that. And I understand when you get hungry, some of you and I get hangry. Okay? And I understand that when we get tired, we may not be as, as receptive and responsive. But if we excuse wrong choices because they're hungry or they're tired, what have we just trained our child? That as long as your circumstances aren't pleasing to you, it's okay to do what you want to do. Really? Just because you're hungry, you don't have to obey God? Just because you're tired, you no longer have to obey the authorities over you because you're tired? I dare you to take this one and use it at work. I dare you to say to your employer, well, the reason that I took things from the, from the business and I know that I shouldn't have was I was just hungry that day. I was having a bad day at home, so I decided I wasn't going to do the job. I am, I am really tired today, so I decided that I'm not going to listen to you as my boss. Do that and see how long you still work. Okay? And so we teach our kids, and, and I'm amazed, I, I told myself, don't say this, but I'm amazed how many parents excuse wrong behavior over an excuse. I think that sometimes it's because we as parents get tired of correcting our kids. And we're so tired of it that it's not the kids who are tired, it's the parent. Listen, you've got to correct. It's hard. It's difficult. I, I know that. I understand that. We had four of them. And with that last one, there's a reason we only had four. Okay? There was, it was, it's, it's difficult to parent, to parent people. It's difficult to raise them. But you need to deal with inappropriate behaviors, not excuse it. What happens if a child acts up in public? Okay? Well... As, you know, as somebody told me not too recently, well, if they acted out in public, I'm going to take them out in public. Um, 
you may want to rethink that because we live in a different society. Okay, I'm not excusing inappropriate behavior, but I am saying be wise. Don't go spanking your kids here at church in a, in a, in a rash fashion. Don't go disciplining, and everybody here is all in favor of child corporate discipline as believers. But if you are over the edge doing it in anger, um, according to the state of Pennsylvania, what are we obligated to do if you are becoming abusive? We're supposed to report you. You say, well, you wouldn't do that. Uh, by not reporting, we could put the entire ministry in jeopardy to something, some point. So I would not encourage you, if you I would encourage you to do this, and, and I've made this offer to you before. If you need to correct your child, go into my office, close the door, and take care of your child in, a, in a, an appropriate fashion. The paddle's in the bottom left-hand drawer <laughs> of my office. It's there for years. Ben was here not too long ago. He opened up the bottom drawer. He said, yep, you've never gotten rid of it. And he knew it because he was the one that was the, you know, went in there most often. Let me make a suggestion. Deal with the children quietly, discreetly, with respect. Okay? Find a private spot. If you're out in public, you're in the store. And if, if, it's not, if you're not able to just you know, get their attention in a very soft, controlled fashion, then leave. You say, yeah, but I'm in the middle of shopping. Your child's your investment. Leave. Go home. You say, yeah, but if I leave, my child may not remember a wise, wise, godly woman that most of you know, Natalie Tuttle. When she would do her parenting seminars, she always had the cookie rule. It was a fabulous rule. Her cookie rule was this. If my kids are old enough to remember a reward, like if you do this, I'm going to give you a cookie. Or when we get to the store, we get a treat. She says, when they're old enough to remember the reward, which is pretty young, they're old enough to remember when they're going to get disciplined that they'll remember what the occasion is for. If they can remember the good things, they can remember why the bad things. Okay, what if your child gets upset really quickly? What if your child has this tendency to all of a sudden, when you correct, or if some kid pushes them, just, they bristle, and they get angry quick. Do you realize that this is an issue? It's not just your child in a phase. This is a real moral issue, that when there's a temper, when there's an anger, and it's uncontrolled. Do you remember what God's Word says about this? God's word says a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. He who is slow to anger has great understanding. Who is quick? He exalts folly. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his own spirit is better than one who captures a city. That an angry man stirs up other strife and a hot-tempered man, he abounds in transgressions. These are all taken from ESV. The point is, I needed to train my children to control their emotions, to make sure that they control their temper that they controlled their anger, to control when they are being corrected and to respond biblically. So if it, if it is an issue, the first thing I think that I would have to look at is I'd have to say, okay, what am I displaying? How do I respond to issues? Are they learning by my pattern? I don't want them to get upset, but when the Vikings lose, I go screaming at the TV. I'd be doing that all the time. Okay. Or if somebody said something that got me upset, and that's just, I don't want to uh, rag on that person. Okay, no, no, no. I have to, um, in the last few months, in counseling with some people, watching, watching a situation where the children react very, very strongly and immediately strike out when the, when the preschool kids, when they were interacting, I noticed that they were responding and pushing and in anger. And so we sit down, talk with some of the family members and say, you know what? How do you two respond when the kids push your buttons? Do you raise your voice? Do you slam things down? And the parents started saying, you know, that's true. We started observing and watching ourselves. And we couldn't figure out why our kids were reacting physically towards each other. And we realized that we're demonstrating a physical reaction. We're not hitting each other. We're not going after each other. But all of a sudden, if something goes wrong... We're doing that in the house. Or we're using some Christian cuss words that all of a sudden we fling out there. And then we wonder why our kids raise their voice and do it. Check your own example. I'm not saying that's always the case, but check it. Okay, when they get hurt, when something happens, okay, don't overreact. Be calm. Try to portray to them a calm, self-controlled spirit. Help them to calm down. Train your kids to be able to get control of themselves. If it means even doing something so simple that says, listen, you're starting to get really upset. You need to have a time where you just sit down. 
Sit next to them. Sit down. Have them learn to breathe deeply. Learn to be able to just keep their hands here and not trying to strike out. And then if it means that you're holding them a bit, do it. But teach your children to have some self-control over their emotions, over their responses to people, to situations. You know how important that is. You know how easy it is to all of a sudden react, teach them to do that. Help them to, to overcome that. And if you're disciplining a child and that child is reacting against you until you get them to calm down, you know, you, you're not done. We'll talk more about that next week, okay? Let's, let's do this, okay, as we wrap up. Enforce, enforce the rules. Do correct the children in a biblical fashion. In that regards, what we're talking about is based on the nurture and the admonition, correcting them. I'll talk more about that next week. Let's talk about exemplifying a life of respect towards others. How can you demand respect and obedience if you don't portray it? Again, that's something we need to talk about more next week. Let me do this final thought. You need to pray. You know, as a parent, there's, a, there's an aspect that so often we forget. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. There was a, there was a few years ago, there was a group of evangelical Christian church leaders from across the nation went to Washington, D.C. They were holding a conference down there, and their complaint was, Congress needs to act. Congress needs to act. Congress isn't doing anything about getting prayer back in the public schools. And so hundreds of these church leaders and Christians were down there, and at that time, Richard Halverson was the Senate chaplain, and he came and he spoke to this group, and he asked them an opening question of these several hundreds to a thousand different preachers and leaders. He said, I want you to answer my question honestly. He said, you're here all concerned about praying in the public schools, but I want you to, to raise your hand if this is true. How many of you in this last month have taken time beyond meals, beyond just something ritualistic like that? How many of you have sat down and had extended prayer times with any of your kids? Not a person raised their hand. Not a one of all these hundreds, but they're crying and complaining about prayer in the public schools. But it's not even in their homes. If I were to ask this honest question, how many of you have taken time to just sit and pray with your kids over an extended period of time? Would you a lot of hands? Would this be different than the men who claim to be leaders of the nation. You need to be praying with your kids. They need to know how important that is. They need to learn how to pray. They'll learn it from you. Now, we can do all this because we have this benefit. We can come in communion. We can come for a service. And in this service, we come before the Lord, all in this prayer and this parenting because of what Christ has done. Let's shift gears and think while we're talking this evening about respect and obedience, let's think about what our Heavenly Father is and what He has done and how He has been so gracious to us, how He's been so good to us, how He's been so kind to us. And as we prepare to give Him thanks and to have the communion service and have that opportunity to be able to pray and to praise, let's reflect on what He has done for us. Uh, those of you in the back, make sure the kids get buzzed. Let's have them come in. We're just going to sing one song after another. Uh, deacons, after on the final song, Amazing Grace, we're going to have you come, so you may want to get ready. Let's sing, I am adopted and rejoice in what has happened.